Grab your Bibles. Put them over your heart. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Amen. We've been teaching a series that I've entitled, What Matters? The scripture actually uses that phrase in talking about what's really important. Everything in life isn't. And we're guilty of making so many things important that aren't. So, what matters to the Lord? We learned in our first message that expectations matter. In fact, that's actually the definition of the Bible word hope. Hope in the Greek language is defined as a confident expectation. In other words, you have to turn your, your expector on. See, faith, as great as faith is, faith will fail if it doesn't have the power twin of hope with it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, one translation says it this way. Faith is the title deed of things that you confidently expect. I like that. How many of you have ever worked in selling a piece of property or a vehicle, something more expensive that involved a title deed? I'm I'm sure most of you have. And oftentimes the title deed is received by the buyer before he ever has the property actually in hand. In fact, many things are purchased sight unseen and there's just an exchange of a title deed. Did you know that faith is the title deed of the things that you are confidently expecting? So turn your expectors on. And then we learned last week that focus matters. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. And then from Psalm chapter 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. Or on the word of God he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. There is a scriptural means to prosper. And there is a scriptural means to prosper in everything that you do. If you will turn your expector on, and if you will focus on what matters to Jesus, you will prosper in everything that you do, this verse says. But you have to meditate on the word of God. And so we asked ourselves, what does Jesus focus on? We learned that there's three things he focuses on. He said, number one, I do nothing unless I hear the Father saying it. First, I always check with him. In other words, I always reference the word of God. I always listen. I always check the word of God first about every decision, every plan, every project. If I'm moving, if I'm taking on a new career, if, if I'm going to move out of town, if I'm going to change homes, if I'm going to accept a new career, 
if I'm going to get engaged to somebody and plan on marrying, everything in my life, I check with the Word of God, Jesus said. So in other words, we found that it's the Word that has his attention. And then we found secondly that he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, if you're to first do this, then everything else is subsequent. Everything else is less important. If this is first, then everything else comes after that. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, that has my attention. That's, that's where I'm attracted is to his kingdom. And then third, he said, the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God and your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, loving relationships is what he gave his activity to. So we have his attraction, his attention, and his activity. You see, your focus is the seedbed for faith. Our text this morning is taken from Genesis, and I'd invite you to join me there. Let's go there. Genesis, the book of Genesis. Now, that's easy to find. Hopefully you can do that. Turning in your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals or beasts in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Actually, he did not say that. Neither shall you touch it. Eve added that. Lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Notice, the man was standing right there in that moment. He heard everything Satan said to Eve. He heard the temptation. He heard the doubt. He heard the lie and he did nothing. Now, hold on to that thought as we continue moving through this. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked 
and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave me. (laughs) The woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. How fascinating is that? I want to talk to you today for a little bit about presence matters. It struck me this week as I was preparing for today how life-altering this passage really is, even in the context of contemporary Christianity. In fact, the way that Jesus always dealt with difficult questions when he was approached and challenged, when deceivers would try to trick him, is he would go back to the Genesis record. In fact, everything in Christianity has its foundation in the first three chapters of Genesis. Everything. Verse 8 is one of the most fascinating passages in all of the Bible. Consider it. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God's presence. Take that in for a moment. Man and woman created by God, given a garden, given complete control over it and everything in it, given power and wisdom to name every creature, every insect, every bug. What an incredible mind. What a, what a powerful existence. Adam and Eve created in the very image of God and then given a garden given dominion over, in fact, God said, take dominion over the entire earth and everything that's in it. It's yours. Let me see what you want to do with it. And within a short space of time, Adam and Eve are hiding from God. Hiding from his, say it, presence. Presence matters. As you think about the biblical record, do you know of anybody else that hid from the presence of the Lord? Can you think of any other Bible character? I'll give you a hint. It was a man, and it was in the Old Testament. He had, uh, he had fish problems. <laughs> Yes, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So what started in the garden has now become the condition of man. We run from the presence of God. The very thing that gives us life, 
We run and we hide from the presence of God. Now, from the time of creation, God's number one desire, I mean the Father's, our Heavenly Father's number one desire was to have a people that he could spend time with in fellowship. I mean just hang with, to use a modern vernacular. Hang with. He, he wanted to bring man into this triune celebration and love fest between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. And they all loved each other perfectly. And, and then one day God imagined a, a people that he could bring into that love and hang with and enjoy and love. And he created Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden Adam and Eve are hiding from his presence. Imagine the heartbreak of the Father. That the creatures he created to hang with how many of you have ever had friends that you loved to get with? I mean, when they called and said, hey, you want to go hang? <laughs> have you ever had somebody call or maybe you called them and said, hey, you want to go to the movie tonight? And they said, and they say, yeah, that'd be great. I'd really enjoy that. And all of a sudden, for the next several hours until you get to the movie and see them, your, your spirit's kind of animated your, your thoughts are sort of free and, and, and you're, you're, you're full of happiness and expectation, expectation. And you're really desiring to be with this individual and have a good time just hang together. Do you know that's exactly what it's like for the father when he thinks about being around you? He desires to be with us. He loves to hang with us. His spirit jumps and leaps. His desire, when, when, when he knows he's, get, he's going to get to spend some moments or a couple of hours with you or me, he gets excited. He enjoys that. It delights his heart, the Bible says. So imagine the heartbreak of the father when he came walking into the garden and he couldn't find Adam and Eve. See, this is what God did every day. He came to that same place in the garden pursuing them. God pursued them every day. God is pursuing you every day. And he couldn't find them. They weren't there. And he called out, where are you? How many of you know? <laughs> no matter where they were hiding in the garden, God was not asking, I don't see you. <laughs> all the all the oxen free. Men, have you hid yourselves really good this time? I can't find you. How many of you know that's not what was happening? So that was not the question. Where are you geographically? Something had changed. Something had changed in the relationship. Where are you? I'm over here in the bushes. What are you doing over there? I'm naked. So I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? 
Did you eat of that tree that I told you not to eat of? They were hiding. Have you ever asked yourself why? I mean, you've been created by God. You've enjoyed hanging with him. We, we don't know the space of time between when Adam breathed, when God breathed his life into Adam and stood him up and he became a living being, satient living being. We don't know the time that, that transpired between when God caused Adam to live and when he fell. We don't know if that was weeks, months, years. It's not recorded. But I know this. Adam and Eve knew God. They had hung with him. They had experienced the joy of being in his presence. And all of a sudden, all of that has stopped. And they're hiding. Why were they hiding? Look at verse 7. Scripture records, then the eyes of them were opened. That's the wisdom of this world. Satan convinced them, you don't need God, you can't trust God, and you know what? You can actually be just like him. And that's what he's trying to keep you from. He's trying to keep you from being like him. You don't need him. You can't rely on his word. It's not trustworthy. And so here, go ahead and eat and you will become like God. And that's the promise today of our world and of our society and everything outside of God's wisdom. Secondly, in verse 7, it says immediately they knew that they were naked. Why did they hide? Number one, because of the wisdom of this world. But number two, because of self-revelation. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm on a journey, and uh, I've just got to find myself. So I'm, I'm taking off. I'm going to spend the next year. I'm going to travel to Tibet and China and, and, and the Middle East. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to travel the world because I need to find myself. Actually, that actually won't do any good. Self-revelation is what caused Adam and Eve to hide. Self-revelation never brings you closer to the Father. Something about the way we're wired causes that void inside of us to pursue, to seek, and we try to fill it with many things, but it will never be satisfied with anyone or anything outside of God's presence. Presence matters. Number three, the third reason that they hid is found also in verse 7. They sewed fig leaves together for a covering. In other words, they lost the covering of his glory. And now, having stepped out from underneath his glory, they knew they were naked suddenly, and they, the scripture says, sewed fig leaves together in order to provide a covering. And we do the same thing through our education, through our appetites, 
through our entertainment, through our relationships, we pursue covering because we realize we're naked and we feel an emptiness. We no longer have the presence of his glory covering us. And man pursues presence. Man has a void that pursues the presence of Almighty God. And so we do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. We make it up ourselves. We're going to sew ourselves a covering. Man is man and God is God. And outside of God's presence, we are nothing. Outside of the new creation given to us in Christ Jesus, man is nothing. Outside of Jesus' redemption, man is nothing. Man cannot create. Man cannot cover. Man can never fill the void that's in his heart outside of Jesus Christ and the Father's presence. Number four, verse eight. It says here in verse eight that they hid themselves from the presence. So the fourth reason that they hid was because of broken fellowship. Verse nine says, where are you? Notice they hadn't left the garden. Notice God hadn't left. They weren't very far away. They were behind some trees. But all of a sudden, they were missing. Have you ever been in a room full of people and felt like you were missing? Like it was empty? Like there was no purpose? Life had no meaning? You were, you were trying to relate? You were trying to get a hold of something? Worthwhile, even being in that room with those people who you love, you know, but you're empty? That's this. They hid themselves. They no longer related to God's presence. They were empty. They were uncovered. They were in broken fellowship. And the question isn't, where is God? Dear ones, listen to me. The question is never, where is God in my circumstances? The question is always, what did I change? God never leaves. God never forsakes. He's always present. He's always pursuing us. And he wants to hang. He really does. So if I sense that he's distant, it's never God. The question is, what did I change? Number 5, verse 10. The fifth reason that they hid themselves is found here. Verse 10. I heard the sound of you and I was afraid. Something got introduced to their lives that they had never felt before. A new emotion. Completely foreign to them. Completely foreign to God's presence. Has nothing to do with God's presence. God has never felt this emotion. He's never been this way. He doesn't give this emotion to you or to me. And all of a sudden, it enters the garden. Fear. And for the first time, Adam and Eve, in their fallen state, even when they hear God, something that before this, they delighted to hear God. They loved his presence. They enjoyed him, didn't even know that they were naked. It didn't matter. And there was a total absence of fear. 
And they didn't have to know good and evil. They knew God and they knew God's presence. That's all they needed to know. God's presence. And all of a sudden it's all changed. And now they're walking in fear. And also in verse 10 it says, They hid because I was naked. Because I was naked, I hid. What is that? Another emotion. What do you think it is? Why were they hiding? Well, they were afraid. They were uncovered. They had given in to the wisdom of this world. They had broken fellowship. Exactly, Nate. Shame. For the first time, these creatures were feeling an emotion that was completely foreign to God. Completely foreign to God's presence. Shame. Did you know that shame is not a part of God? Did you know that God's presence has nothing whatsoever to do with shame? Do you know that when you are in God's presence somehow, shame just leaves? Fear just leaves? Emptiness just leaves when I'm in his presence? Now stay with me, because I know that theologically some of you are questioning... But I, I thought we were born again. I, I thought I'm always in his presence. I thought his presence never leaves me nor forsake. Hang on. All right. Number seven. The seventh thing that happened when they ate of that tree is found in verses 11 and 12. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten? The woman you gave me. Here comes another emotion, completely foreign to God. God has nothing to do with this emotion. He doesn't know anything about it. He's, he's not a part of it. He doesn't give it. And Adam and Eve had never felt it prior to this fall. Guilt. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten well, yes, but the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Interesting. Guilt. So now, there's seven reasons why they hid themselves. Number one, the wisdom of this world. Number two, self-revelation. Number three, a loss of their glory, their covering. Number four, broken fellowship. Number five, six, and seven are all emotions that are completely foreign to God's presence. Fear, shame, and guilt. I wonder this morning, do you identify with any of this? Has any of this been keeping you from the presence of God? Have you felt like he's distant? Have you wondered what's missing? Has there been an emptiness? Well, I want to tell you that somebody came to completely turn all of that around so that you never have to go another day feeling, feeling fear, feeling shame, or feeling any guilt, not another day. You never have to experience another day of broken fellowship, of relying only on this world's wisdom, or feeling like you're not covered and not safe. 
Somebody came and somebody did something so incredible that it changed everything that happened here in the garden that brought all of this sin and death and guilt and shame and fear into the earth. And his name is Jesus. And to every person who accepts Jesus as their Savior, there is something so supernatural that occurs when you do that. When you accept Jesus to be your Lord, something supernaturally transforms your life and completely restores and redeems everything Adam and Eve originally had to what you and I can experience and enjoy today. And it's called, very simply, the new birth and the redemption of the Lord. Everything about Eden, everything, has now been restored to anyone who will name the name of Jesus and call upon him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new species, something that never existed before. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19. Christ was in God, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 from the Amplified. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in good time for every need. Wow. It's totally been turned around. And now the mighty and precious presence of God is again available. Life like Adam and Eve had it. No, excuse me. Not life like Adam and Eve had it because they weren't born again. This is actually better than Adam and Eve had it. You have on the inside of you the very image of God. You have been created in his likeness. You are a species that has never existed before. And you have become, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, you have, or verse 21, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, when you come and approach him, you can stand in his presence completely free of all guilt, all shame, all fear, all emptiness, you have, you have the Garden of Eden living in you. Even better, you have the very life of God. Who God is, what God is, the life he enjoys, it now lives on the inside of you. Now, I don't know about you, but I want that presence I want to live and walk in that presence every day. And so there's something we can do about that. Number one. So let's counteract those seven things. Number one. The wisdom of this world. You don't need it. We have something better. 
1 Corinthians 1.30, He is made unto us wisdom. When you need wisdom, when you need insight, when you need counsel, go to God's Word. Number two, self-revelation. You don't need self-revelation. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, I don't even judge myself. God judges. So I leave that alone. I don't even inquire about that. I don't judge myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, The strength of sin is the law. Dear ones, do you realize that if Adam and Eve had not partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good... By the way, it was not an apple. Could, could we please get that out of your head? It was not a fruit tree. We're told what kind of tree it was. It was the tree of the knowledge of evil, right? No. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they ate, they realized through self-revelation, I'm naked. Why didn't that matter before? that they were naked. They ran around with God naked. Why didn't that matter before? Because there was no sin. There was no judgment of good and evil. It didn't matter. They just lived in His presence. And dear ones, that's where we're back to. We just live in His presence We're not about judging between good and evil. And so I'm not about judging you. I'm not about judging your sin. I'm not about judging your behavior. I'm about living in His presence. And our goal whenever we come together in any meeting is to have God's presence and be completely free of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where it all started. Number three... It says that they lost their glory as a covering. Well, now man is restored in his glory. And man now has the Holy Spirit as his covering and his glory. Number four, they broke fellowship. Well, now 1 John 2, 22 and 27 says this, but you have an anointing of the Holy One. That anointing that you've received abides in you. And that anointing teaches you about everything. And so now, God literally lives inside of you. God did not live in Adam and Eve. They were righteous. They were perfect. They had never sinned. But God did not live in them. Christ actually lives in me. I'm actually the righteousness of God in Christ. I have it better than Adam and Eve had it. And the Holy Spirit is my covering and he's my glory and he has restored me to fellowship. What about fear, shame, and guilt? Well, fear, 2 Timothy 1, 7. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Shame? No. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no shame now. There's no guilt. There's no fear for the believer who lives in the presence of Almighty God. How about guilt? No, there's no place for guilt in my life. None. Over anything. 
Well, you don't know what I did this past week. It doesn't matter. There's still no guilt, no shame. You just come into his presence and you come boldly and you put it under the blood and you say, Father, thank you that you paid the price for that. Now I choose not to continue to live in that attitude, live in that behavior, live in that style of thinking or behaving. I am free from it in Jesus' name. No guilt, no fear, no shame, only the presence of Almighty God. Look at this, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the law, but according to the Spirit. You know what I loved about this morning's worship service? And by the way, Pastor Don and I didn't compare any notes. I didn't know what he was going to sing. He didn't know what I was going to preach. And every song had meaning and was related to this message. But that last song, did you get the words to that last song? (laughs) Oh my goodness. It was all about just presence. Here I am, Lord. Thank you. What's the name of that song? It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about self-revelation. It's not about my fear. It's not about my circumstances. It's not about my marriage or this relationship that's going wrong or, or this conflict in my life. It's all about you, Jesus. And I just step over here into your presence. Now, the truth is, he never leaves. In the garden, there was proximity. But in my life now, there isn't. He lives in me. You know what changed? In the garden, it was geographical proximity. Adam, where are you? But that can't even happen today. I told you we have something better than even Adam and Eve. You know what we have today? It's not up here. But do you remember what the banner says that we normally have up here? Somebody help me. There's three words on it. Outpouring. Habitation. Glory. The glory's back because he inhabits us. He inhabits us because he's poured out his spirit. And he's poured out his spirit freely on all flesh without judgment. Christ was in God reconciling not just you and me, not just believers. God, Christ was in God reconciling the world to himself. That's why you never have to beat a sinner over the head with coming to Jesus or tell them that they're wrong or berate them for what their lifestyle or behavior is like. God doesn't care. It's not about that. It's not about shame or guilt. In fact, Paul said in the book of Romans that it's the goodness of God that leads man to repent. And so the gospel message that we carry is that God has already reconciled the world to himself. Now we just make a choice to step into it. Now I make a choice. Jesus, I receive this tremendous free gift. Come into my life. 
Give me heaven. Give me your glory. Remove all that fear and shame and guilt. Remove the sense of emptiness. Cover me. Fill me. Put your glory in me. And God says, okay, I'll do that. And he comes and he recreates your spirit, makes you a being that's never existed before. And now he comes inside of us and he comes to live in you. Wow. God's presence is in you. God's presence is in 